This is Sports Talk with Phil Cordblue, Chris Bergen, and Pat Daniel. Sports Talk is heard across the state on radio affiliates of the Sports Talk Media Network and is streaming live on SportsTalkSE.com as well as Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. The South Carolina Education Lottery lucky number to call in is 888-898-2525. That's 888-898-2525. Now, here are Phil, Chris, and Pat with tonight's edition of Sports Talk. And good evening, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome into Sports Talk on this rainy Wednesday night in South Carolina. So just come inside and sit back and maybe throw another log or two on the fire. Cozy up to somebody that you really like. Maybe your wife, maybe your girlfriend, maybe your dog. I think for most of us, it'd be the dog would be the first choice. And join us here on Sports Talk on the Sports Talk Media Network. Phil Kornblut and Pat Daniel from the Dave and Buster Studios here in Columbia. Got a great show for you tonight. A reminder, I know we may lose some of you to basketball later on. That's cool. But if you want to stay with us, you lose our station, you want to stay with us, we've got our streams on Twitter and on YouTube and on Facebook and the audio stream on our website, sportstalksc.com. So you can stay with us that way. We'd love to keep you along for the ride. Eric Backish, first-year Clemson baseball coach, going to join us here in a little bit a little bit to preview the Tigers and the start of practice for them. We had Mark Kingston last night. If you missed that, you can go catch it on our podcast. And uh, also comments from Clemson basketball coach Brad Brownell. Oh, they wanted him gone after last season. You just never know. Do you make the right decision by sticking with a guy do you make the right decision by making a change? It looks like that Clemson made the right decision sticking with Brad Brownell because the Tigers got a very solid win last night. They played good basketball. They took Georgia Tech out pretty early. Yeah, Tech made a run, got within three, but Clemson never trailed in the ball game and eventually took the lead to the end to 21 points and playing without two guys who would be starters for them as well. So they're developing depth. They're getting good play from some young guys. Shot the ball very well last night and didn't lose their focus really when they got off to a 12-0 lead and went on to a win. So they are 9-1, best start ever for them in the ACC. 9-1, continue to lead at the halfway point of the ACC race, 17-4 overall. This has got a chance to be a very special season for Clemson as Chris Bergen joins us. He's at James Madison with the Coastal Carolina basketball team. They play tomorrow night. And if you're Brad Brownell, now you've been at Clemson going on a dozen years, and you know the deal at Clemson. I mean, they tune into basketball when it's going well, and anytime it's not, they're ready to run you out of town. Some of the fans mm-hmm. are I'm talking about. But do you use a great season? Let's say they win 24-25 games. He makes the tournament, obviously maybe wins a game or two in the tournament. I think this team would be a very dangerous 7, 8, or 9 seed. Do you ride that to something else, more basketball-centric opportunity, or do you hit it up for a new contract at Clemson and a longer run with the Tigers? Wow, that's an interesting question, Phil, and good evening, guys. Uh, Good to be with you from what was earlier today, a snowy Harrisonburg, Virginia, but it's just turned into nasty, rainy weather like we have back home. But Brad Brownell doesn't strike me as a guy that looks at Clemson now, even before, as, say, a 
you know, a jumping off point to somewhere else. I think he, he looked at Clemson and said, you know what, they, they could have probably gotten rid of me last year. And, you know, one way or the other at that point in time, would that have been a bad decision like South Carolina making the change? I, I don't know. Now, obviously, it's, it's turned out to be a, a super decision to keep him on board. I just don't see him as somebody that would be job hunting. If he's able to turn this around, I think he's looking at Clemson as a place he can build the program now because he's seeing what he can do with older guys. And I've mentioned this before, and I think that's the reason Clemson is having the year they are because they've got guys that have been in his system for two and three years, and that's now becoming more the anomaly, not necessarily the norm. And quite frankly, Phil, I mean, is there a better coaching job being done right now in the Atlantic Coast Conference than what Brad Brownell is doing? To me, he's the clear one runaway favorite right now for ACC Coach of the Year and certainly should be in the running in the mix for National Coach of the Year, the job that he has done with that team this year. Now, again, he's got some veteran guys who are doing a terrific job. So you've got to kind of cat, you know, catch lightning in a bottle and strike while the iron's hot if I can come up with a couple of uh, cliches. Yeah. But but this is a team, I think you're right too, about being a team that could be dangerous in the tournament for two reasons. They've got great guard play and they play defense. And on nights when they don't necessarily shoot it well, like the Virginia Tech game a couple of nights ago, they still were able to rely on the other end of the floor, and that's why they won that ball game. I think I think Brad's in for the long haul, and, and Clemson got lucky. There's no question they they got lucky that he's having this kind of year, and it made the decision to bring him back. Look, you know, it's it's aces for sure now because that team is a really really good team. And I'd be stunned. Let's assume for a moment if they go on and win the ACC, would they actually be a seven or eight seed? Shouldn't they be somewhere closer to about a three or a four seed at worst? Well, I think it depends on what the record looks like. I mean, their RPI, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, their net is still only 56 after winning I don't, I don't last get night. That. Yeah, I just yeah. don't get that. Neither does uh, Brownell. He talked about it last night. You'll hear some of that in his comments coming up. He's like, you can't have the net as your only option when it comes to evaluating teams, but it seems like that's what everybody does. Mm-hmm. And he says it's hard to figure out. He said a couple of years ago, they were like a 33, and State was a 34, and they both got left out, you know? So he, he says it's, it's hard to figure, and it is. It's a hard thing to figure out. Who knows? I don't even know what goes into the net. I guess you could look it up. you got to be a scientist and a mathematician, I guess, to figure it out. But this team is developing some good young talent. We saw Chauncey Wiggins last night show out, had a career-high 12 points. Middlebrooks is getting better. Godfrey is developing as a youngster. Dylan Hunter now is being forced to play a lot. He scored nine points last night and had uh, two assists in place of his brother, Chase, who they hope that Chase and Hemingway, Chase Hunter and Alex Hemingway, will be back for Saturday at Florida State. But they've been saying that almost every week now. Uh, Shefflin is a, a young guy. He'll be back. So you look at this team. Hall, unless he for some reason decides to leave for the pros, you'd have Hall and Shefflin and the two Hunters and Middlebrooks and Beatles coming along. Didn't play much last night, but he's talented. And you got Wiggins and Godfrey. That's a good young nucleus. All those guys are playing a good bit this year. That's a good young nucleus to build around when you think about the future. So it looks good. It looks good for Clemson. And, you know, I mean, not to take anything away from them, Let's face it, the ACC, top to bottom, is not having a great year this year. There's a number of really poor teams in the ACC this year, maybe more poor teams than normal when you look at how things are going. I mean, Louisville is terrible. Georgia Tech is terrible. Notre Dame is bad. Uh, Boston College is bad. Looks like Florida State's having a bit of an off year for them. 
though they are five and four of the league, but they're seven and thirteen overall. NC State's just you know mediocre. Duke is off a tick or two. Um, you know, Syracuse doesn't look great. It's not a top-heavy team. I'm curious, no. Excuse me. It's not a top-heavy league this year. So it's a good time for Clemson to have a great year right now. Clemson and Virginia and Miami are the cream of the crop. Now, Clemson still has to play Miami at home a week from Saturday. They still got to go to North Carolina in February. So there's still some traps out there. There's some mines to clear. But they got a chance to have a very, very special year. Meantime, South Carolina tonight. Mm -hmm. I've got a quick point about the net ranking, too. And this is probably going to upset some of our listeners. But the fact of the matter is that loss to South Carolina earlier in the year, Phil, may be part of the reason Clemson is not higher in the net. Because you're talking about a team of the Gamecocks that's 277 out of, what, 330 or whatever it is in in terms of uh, Division I basketball teams, that loss is weighing Clemson down. There's no other way to look around it because, for the most part, they don't have any bad losses outside of that game. And that game took place in in November. Well, I think the uh, the Loyola loss is a pretty bad one, too. They're 271 in the net, by the way, Loyola. Yeah, that was a bad loss, too, even though, you know. They got two of those then. Yeah, they got two bad losses. Um, that, and that's hurting them in the in the net, no question about it. Now to the Gamecocks. They go to uh, Florida tonight. That game will tip off 7 o'clock. And the Gamecocks uh, looking for a desperate win. They have lost uh, four in a row and five out of um, six out of seven. Vandy, Tennessee, A&M, Ole Miss, Auburn, all losses. Of course, that uh, shocking win at Kentucky. You know, Kentucky hasn't lost since they lost to South Carolina. So the Gamecocks woke those boys up. They play at Florida tonight. And, you know, Florida is not a great team at this point. They're a decent team. They've got some some good players, including a kid from Sumter, Felder, who's now a senior forward for Florida. I've forgotten all about him. But Florida does have a a, a tremendous player in the middle in Castleton. And he is a guy that has given the Gamecocks fits. Uh, in their last meeting in Columbia that Florida won, he blocked eight shots. So inside, and the Gamecocks kept going to the basket, and he kept blocking shots. Colin Castleton, he's 6'11". He is closing in on 200 career blocks. You just don't challenge him around the rim. If you go to the rim, you better have something else in mind than trying to go straight up around him. He averages about 15 points, eight rebounds, and three blocks per game. He's the heart and soul of this basketball team. They, um, they're, pretty, they're pretty big, 6'11", 6'9". Alex Fudge has moved into the starting lineup. He's 6'9", backcourt, 6'3", 6'3", 6'4". So it's a good Florida team with a new coach, and uh, they have struggled a little bit as well. They did win their last game against Mississippi State on the road, and before that, they lost to Texas A&M, had a couple of wins over LSU and Missouri. Prior to that, they lost three in a row, Oklahoma, Auburn, and Texas A&M. So, you know, Chris, the thing about the Gamecocks, with the way their record looks, the one thing you can say about it is they have played a tough schedule oh, no to doubt. this point. They've played a very difficult schedule. Maybe it gets a little bit easier, if you want to say easier, with Florida on the road. I'm not sure that's a great qualification, saying Florida on the road is easier. But compared to what they've been playing, maybe a little bit of a break from that standpoint. So they got Florida, Georgia, Mississippi State. Three games here where they should be competitive. And if you can be competitive, 
you might accidentally uh, go out there and win like they did against Kentucky. Now they should, I mean, on paper, they didn't look competitive against Kentucky and they never, they never trailed against Kentucky. That's the funny thing about their games this month, this entire month of January. They've never led at home. And they, um, well, the Kentucky game, they did play Vanderbilt January 3rd. Forget Vanderbilt. Since Vanderbilt, playing those home games, they've never led. And against Kentucky, they never trailed. So <laughs> what I'm saying is in their last uh, five games, they've had that unique deal where they've never, one game they never trailed and the other games they never led. I mean, we'll see what happens tonight. This, this has a chance to be a competitive game for them. First half. Again, I'll come back to say it. That for whatever reason, Lamont Paris has got to find a way, and he tried to shift the lineup a little bit against um, over the weekend, and I think it actually uh, paid some dividends and got them in that ball game at least for the most part with Auburn. And then Auburn went away late in the first half, and then opened up obviously the 26-point lead in the second half. And USC was playing catch-up after that. Be curious to see how he manipulates his lineup tonight. But this is a game being played in a place that South Carolina has had success. Phil, you go back to 2018. Gamecocks have won three straight down in Gainesville looking for their fourth straight win at Florida. So, I mean, it's it's a place that they've actually played some good basketball. Now, none of the guys on the current roster had that kind of success, but at least the program has. So, you know, I think it's one they've got to approach a lot differently, thinking they've got a shot, unlike, say, Tennessee and Texas A&M and even Auburn this past weekend. Yeah, uh, it's the funny thing about this series. The road team has won six straight games in the series. Yeah. You know, so neither team has been phased about playing at the other's uh, arena. So that will be coming up a little bit after 7 o'clock. Now, you, sir, shall never take Chicago State for granted <laughs> again. Shame on you. I did not. I told I told you guys on Monday. Now, I didn't expect Coastal to lose. But I did tell you they had some uh, some quality players on that team. They just had had no luck. And I think, unfortunately, and, and Coastal doesn't need me to make any excuses, their their play was not up to snuff. But I think they probably, the, the players anyway, saw 4-16 and 16 and just assumed, hey, we can roll the balls out on the basketball court and win. And that was not the case. Heck, they trailed by as much as 12 in the first half. They were lucky to be as close as they were in the second half and actually had the lead in the second half but just couldn't finish it. And it, it was ironic in some regards. You know, Chicago is a haven for basketball. They love their basketball up in Chicago, as you well know, Phil. On Monday night, Chicago State snapped a 16-game road losing streak this year alone, and I think it even goes back into the 30s if you fan back to last year. And then last night, DePaul, also from Chicago, helped Georgetown win their first Big East game in their last 30 outings, I think it was. So it's been somewhat of a historic and strange week for a college basketball in a Chicago, to say the least. Absolutely. And like you said, they love their basketball in Chicago. They love their Bulls. And when DePaul was a power under the Myers, mm-hmm. it was the talk of the town. And um, when Loyola Chicago made their run, of course, it yep. uh, dominated the scene there in Chicago. So it's a great basketball city. Great players come out of Chicago. and um, But losing to a four-win oh, yeah. Chicago State team at home, I mean, that's taking your eye off the ball. And you were coming off, I say you, Coastal, you were coming off a couple of nice conference mm-hmm. wins, and you're playing at home. This should have been an easy W, not an easy W, but it should have been a W and make your record look. You'd be, uh, what, 11-9 and nine instead of 10-10. and 10. Correct. And I think the one thing that probably bothers Cliff Ellis and the staff more than anything uh, is the fact that because they had to play from behind virtually the entire game, 
coming off you know two tough overtime wins in your conference and knowing what you still have in front of you in the league what you were hoping was that you'd be able to put it on cruise control on Monday night in the second half and get a lot of your backup guys who haven't played a whole lot since Sunbelt action began and not lose the game mm-hmm. that was that was the hope and clearly it was not the case because they still had to rely on their starters to play 30 plus minutes and that's not what you wanted on the back end of three games in, in five days and now traveling up here to James Madison and then traveling back home on Friday and getting ready for Old Dominion back in town on Saturday so yeah that that blew up in their face for sure that that loss to a team that quite frankly they should not have lost to okay uh, we're going to go to the break here in a moment Eric Backage coming up at the bottom of the hour and we'll have a lot of recruiting uh, Nick Harbor, for those who might be uh, losing us here at the bottom of the air, I'll tell you a couple things. Uh, USC's going in tonight for their in-home with Nick Harbor. Uh, that'll be about 9 o'clock, Shane Beamer and company. I uh, did an interview with his dad today, Azuka Harbor. Very nice, very nice man. And he really likes Shane Beamer. And he really likes South Carolina, but he said it's his son's decision. He'll advise him if he asks. He'll give him his opinion if he asks. But it's totally up to his son to decide what he wants. So South Carolina, Miami, and Maryland going in today. Earlier this week, Oregon and uh, Michigan were in, and they're going to take an official visit to Oregon this weekend. He will sign on Wednesday, about noon, one of the ESPN channels. I guess normally it's, it's number two that uh, does it for the for the recruiting days. So that's probably where it will be. Or ESPNU, one of those I would imagine. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to have a, a – a a channel devoted solely to college athletics, you would think that would be where you'd put all your recruiting stuff, wouldn't you? Yeah, but sometimes they use the deuce. They spill it over to the deuce because they got so many of them going on. I'm still waiting for ESPN Varsity. I'm, I'm stunned they haven't tried to tap into the high school market yet. Oh, don't think it, it's, not, it's not been talked about. And then something I tweeted last night, I don't have any more information to add right now, but I was told by a knowledgeable source that it's not totally over at South Carolina yet related to Trajan Jeffcoat that, uh, you know, Jeffcoat did announce a commitment to Arkansas, but he has not uh, stepped into a classroom yet, has not started taking classes, according to our information as of last night in South Carolina. I got another confirmation this morning from a different source that indeed, um, you know, it's, it's still a there's still an opportunity. There's still, I shouldn't say opportunity. Uh, there's still hope by those on the South Carolina side of things trying to get this thing resolved, that it can get resolved and give him the guarantees that he can get into school that might lead to him changing his mind and coming to South Carolina, which is where he originally wanted to go. I don't know anything else. I can't give you any more details. That's all I know. And, uh, when you know, I mean, I was kind of hoping it was over when he said it was over when he committed to Arkansas, but it's not over yet. So we'll continue to pass along what we're told from our reliable sources. No sense not sharing it with you because it is going on and it is happening. And uh, if it does work out for South Carolina, great. If it doesn't, then uh, they move on. All right, let's hit the break and we'll come back with more. Talk about some other things going on. You're with us. How long, sir? I will probably stay until Coach Backage jumps on board, and then I'll hop off and let you guys talk baseball. Okay. Well, you're welcome to stay. He's going to be with us here at the bottom of the hour. I'm just afraid that I'm not sure how much longer Coastal is going to practice here tonight. So we'll, we'll see. Okay. We'll hit the break. Be back with more in a moment. Don't go away.
and your day calls for some winning, why not watch your favorite football team at Dave & Buster's? We've got massive HDTVs and hundreds of the hottest new games set from our chef-crafted cocktail menu with exclusive drinks such as the Strawberry Watermelon Margarita or Dangerous Waters. Cheer on the team with Cantina Nachos or Wings featuring one of our 12 wing flavors. When your day calls for some winning, it's time for Dave & Buster's where you can watch the games and play the games. Locations in Greenville, Columbia, and Myrtle Beach. Hi, I'm Jim Corbett. I've been an attorney for more than 30 years. There's one thing I've learned about injury cases. It's you need the personal touch. You need the lawyer to get to know you and describe your damages. You don't want a case manager talking to an insurance company and then talking to you and then talking to maybe to a lawyer with limited experience at the last minute to try to settle a case. I talk to you. I find out what your case is about. Jim at JimCorbettAttorney.com. Jim at JimCorbettAttorney.com for your injury cases. Major Downer here from the South Carolina Department of Natural Resources. Boating season is just around the corner. To make sure that your boat is ready, check your registration sticker and ensure it's current. Find your registration card, make sure your life jackets are in good shape, and check your fire extinguisher as well. For more information on boating or boat tiling questions, visit dnr.sc.gov backslash boating. looking over Mel Kuyper's first mock draft for the 23 NFL draft. Unless my eyes deceive me, I'm shocked. I don't see a Tiger or a Gamecock in the first round. Wow. Yeah, no Bressy. He he writes in here about Bressy that he um, thought hard about him down around 27, 28 in the first round, but didn't pick him. I'll go over this a little bit later on in detail. And, I mean, again, unless I'm just missing somebody here, neither a Gamecock nor a Tiger in the first round projected by Mr. Draft, Mel Kuyper. And he's also got the Panthers selecting Anthony Richardson from Florida as their quarterback at number nine in the draft, which I don't know how Panthers fans would feel about him. Uh, coming in and he's All clearly right. an I knew I missed something. I knew I missed something. He's got Miles Murphy to the Falcons at number eight. Okay. Yeah. Now that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I scrolled past that. I could have thought with a thought for sure Brest C would be in the first round projection by him. He's got Jalen Carter going first to Chicago, the uh, defensive tackle out of Georgia. And he's got CJ Stroud going to Houston second. And Will Anderson to the Cardinals third. Bryce Young to the Colts. Levis, Will Levis to the Seahawks. Then he's got Tyree Wilson to the Lions at six. Peter Skaronski, big offensive tackle to the Raiders at seven. Murphy to the Falcons at eight. Richardson, as you mentioned, to the Panthers at nine. And the Eagles taking Kalijah Cansey, defensive tackle out of Pitt, at number 10. Let me see what he's got for my Packers because... We're picking earlier this year. Michael Mayer. Ooh, I would like this. Michael Mayer, tight end from Notre Dame. That'd be a good selection. And might keep Aaron Rodgers in the fold if you're going to help him out a little bit offensively with another pass receiver. 
And two of their tight ends, Robert Tunyon and Mercedes Lewis, are free agents. Hate to lose. Uh, Lewis is up there in age, and he's basically a blocker. I would hate to lose, uh, as we like to call him, Bobby Tunyon. <laughs> I'd like to see them re-sign him because he's become a quality quality uh, tight end. Let me see. Make sure I didn't miss anybody else because I just scrolled right over Murphy, and I hate doing that. And as I scroll down through here, da, da, da. how's that arena there in uh, at James Madison? It is a beautiful facility. It's two years old. It's the Atlantic Union Bank Center. Seats about 8,500 for basketball, and it's as nice as any you'll find in the uh, Sunbelt and probably as nice as any you'll find around the country. And as a matter of fact, Phil, interesting story about this. Limestone, of all teams, came in here to play James Madison, the first ever basketball game played here back in November of 2020. Interesting. Limestone, the Saints. Limestone. Helped yes, to sir. break it in. Okay, we're going to hit the break. Coach Backish is uh, due to uh, join us after the break. Chris, we'll talk to you later on. All right, I may try and stay, so I'll stick around for a little Stay as long as you want. You're welcome to stay. We'll be back. Getting ready for the start of baseball practice. The season, not too far away as well. Mark Kingston with us last night here on Sports Talk. We now welcome in for the first time of what will be, we hope, many interviews over the next, uh, I don't know, 25, 30 years with the new Clemson baseball coach, Eric Backage. Coach, good evening. Good to have you with us here on Sports Talk. How are you? Hey, doing great. Thanks for having me on your show. You okay with my projection? 25, 30 years of interviews, that'd be okay? <laughs> yeah, that sounds good to me. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, we, we plan to be here, and I'm sure you, you plan to be at Clemson, so that's that's good. Well, first of all, now that uh, you've definitely gotten the old feet wet and you kind of got your feet buried in the in the dirt there at Doug Kingsmore, how's it feeling to you? Uh how, what were what were some of the most important things that you've gotten done over your first few months there running the program at Clemson? Well, yes, sir. I mean, it uh, you know still feels a little bit like you know drinking from the proverbial fire hose, but you just have to to break it down into chunks. And so the the most important jobs to be done right away the first thirty days. You know, we wanted to put a staff together. Wanted to you know obviously. Build, start building a relationship with our our current team, current current players. Uh, get to know all the recruits, meet all the local coaches in the great state of South Carolina, and and get connected to the alumni. So that was, you know, all of that was the, probably the the summer. Uh, that was half of June, all of July, and then as we got into August, it was getting into the the planning and the preparation of of fall ball and creating a training environment for our team to thrive in, but it's been, it's been busy. It's been a hundred, a hundred miles an hour every day. And it's been awesome. Yeah. Well, you got a lot of new players. You got a new staff for the most part and uh, the returning players, they're learning you, you're learning them. As you go into uh, preseason camp here, how many spots in your, your starting nine, would you say, well, let's say starting eight, not pitching, but starting eight, how many spots are still open? How much competition is there going to be going into camp? 
you know, there's there's quite a bit of competition. Um, I've said this many times, but the previous staff did a did a great job of of bringing some very high quality players and individuals to Clemson and into this program. So it's it's been terrific getting to know them and and evaluating them and as a as a player, but more importantly, getting to know them as people. And they're they're super competitive, obviously. And so there's a lot of inter-team competition for various spots on the field. Now, we do have some returning starters uh, that maybe would have a little bit of a leg up just because of their their age and their experience and just their the reps that they've had inside college baseball. Uh, but we haven't defined any starters yet. We haven't named any certain positions yet. But I think people can look at the stat sheet last year and kind of figure some things out that you know, that a Ben Blackwell and a Blake Wright and a Cooper Ingle and a Caden Grice, you know, those guys were key contributors. Tyler Corbett, those guys are key contributors to last year's team. And, um, you know, it's going to be hard for them to stay out of that lineup. Well, I would agree. And I guess most people start with Grice and what a player he has been at Clemson. And I know you're expecting some big things out of him pitching and playing in the field and hitting. What are your plans for a guy with so many skills, so many tools? Well, we've moved him from the outfield back to the infield. We've got him at first base. He's a super athlete. He's a big target, very agile over there, and it just also keeps him in the action. Um, the outfield can be a lonely place. Sometimes you can go the whole game and not get not get a ball. Um, so it's, it's just keeping him more engaged, which will obviously help his offense. And then pitching is something that he did just in sparingly uh, last year, and that's something that we'll look to – really expand that role. He could be a starter. He could be a reliever, could pitch in, in high leverage relief. Uh, but just having him as a pitcher as well as a true two-way type player uh, will not only help him as a pitcher, but certainly help him as, as an offensive player and just uh, being fully engaged in kind of that pitcher-hitter matchup and what, you know, what, uh, how he would how he would pitch and attack certain hitters and start to have that mental framework uh, when he goes up to bat as well. Eric Mackins, the new head baseball coach at Clemson, joining us here tonight on Sports Talk. And, uh, Coach, let's stick with Caden Grace for just a moment. From an offensive perspective, he's a young man that can drive in probably 100 runs for you and certainly hit 30 or more home runs during a season. In your style of offense, though, baseball-wise, what do you want to see? Do you want him to continue to be a power hitter, or does he also need to try and put the ball in play? When you look at a team offensively, what is your style of baseball going to look like? Well, we've had some explosive offenses, you know, in our teams at Michigan, and it was because we played team offense. I think a lot of lot of offenses looks like nine independent contractors going up to bat and <laughs> doing their Twitter swing. <laughs> and for us, you know, everyone has a job to do until until they cross the plate. And so our our offense will be predicated on scoring runs. And it's an it's a dynamic balance of speed and power. And for a guy like Caden, yeah, he he may achieve those numbers, but he'll do it by not trying to do it. And that's a that's a very important thing for he and all young hitters to understand. Sometimes less is more when it comes to to generating bat speed and power. And my favorite at-bat from the fall was actually one of his at-bats. Every time we inter-squad, I like to be the home plate umpire just to have that that perspective, that vantage point on the field. And he had a two-strike count 
and uh, there was a pitch that was thrown. It was, a, you know, maybe six inches off the plate, and he was choked up. He, he was just trying to put the barrel on it, and he did exactly that. He put the barrel on it and hit a line drive into the top of the bleachers opposite field, and an opposite field line drive home run, that, that's hard to do, and he did it with just a very simple swing. And so uh, for he and for, for a lot of our players, just understanding with two strikes, it becomes a team at bat, and it becomes about being gritty, not pretty, and just putting the barrel on the ball. You know, sometimes you can still hit for power and hit some of your hardest balls doing that. Uh, so I, I love that at bat that he had in the mm-hmm. fall. And, you know, that's just that's just more of a team approach, playing team baseball, and looking forward to all of our guys competing that way. There's no question you had tremendous success as head coach at Michigan. Is there a difference, though, coaching a upper Midwest Northern college baseball team translating now to coaching a, a college team in the south where you might actually be able to get out on Friday and start uh, practice? Is there a big difference, though, in terms of the way the game is played, how it's coached, and how you train for, for baseball at Michigan now that you're moving over to Clemson? Well, yeah, I mean, obviously the, the weather, I'd be lying if I didn't, you know, mention the weather. And uh, so it, that, that really, from a training standpoint, it just allows more, more time at our craft where we had to be a little bit creative. And we did get very creative when we were indoors and, you know, maybe could only be outside for sparingly for, for small doses. Uh, but competition is competition. And, um, and that part of the game is the same. And, uh, those are some of the biggest strides that that our team has made, and just really from the neck up. And and uh, I'm really excited to see him compete, and looking forward to you know this time that we have now as we enter into this preseason uh, segment where we start official team practice. All of college baseball starts official team practice this Friday to really start to ramp up and, and get ready for opening day. A name many Tiger fans will think of maybe these days as on the football field, kind of forgotten because of injury, the expectations coming out of out of high school as a highly regarded prospect. Uh, just curious, I saw your thoughts last week. You were quoted calling Will Taylor, quote, one of the most explosive athletes I've seen in a baseball uniform. Again, he missed a vast majority of last year, still recovering from that torn ACL. Just wondering if you could expand on what expectations may be for Will Taylor this year on the baseball field. Well, we've we've been able to work with him now for a couple of weeks, and he is he's extremely explosive. He's extremely twitchy, as you would expect a, an athlete of his caliber to be. And he just he has he just has a big engine. He just gets going quick. He uh, he gets to full speed quickly. He can accelerate quickly. Um, so really, I think for him, it's just getting getting into really baseball mode and and maybe out of football mode, which he's doing very very you know, very fast, very rapidly. So he's, his swing looks good. He's making strides defensively. And, uh, you know, really just this is our time to kind of evaluate his, his skill set. And, and he's competing for, to earn a position, to earn a role as well, just, just like a lot of the guys did all fall and now they're still doing. Uh, so he, he, he is playing a little bit of catch up in that regard, but uh, he is a phenomenal athlete, one of the best you know, athletes I have seen in a baseball uniform, that is true. Uh, just with the, uh, you know, the ability just to be explosive and, uh, and very athletic in, in what he does. Uh, so, you know, containing all of that in, a, in, 
the specific skills of baseball will be exciting, you know, to watch how he progresses and grows here these next few weeks. And coach, you also in that same interview mentioned having a lot of versatility this spring with uh, eight different guys fighting for the three starting spots in the outfield, uh, in- including, of course, Will Taylor. Last year, he may have played more DH because of the injury. But do you have is it too early, or do you have any expectations yet of whether fans maybe see him more in the outfield or more at DH or maybe doing a little bit of both? Or what are your thoughts there? Yeah, I, you know, we haven't really even thought about the DH role at all. Um, you know, usually that's kind of the the best offensive player not playing a defensive position. And if that's him, then that's him. But, uh, you know, right now it's a lot of our training and focus has been, you know, from a defensive standpoint of just, you know, learning the way that we teach it and how we teach our first steps and acceleration and, um, you know, the movements like a, a wide receiver learning, learning his routes. And so we're, we've been heavily uh, involved with that. And then from an offensive standpoint, just, you know, maybe uh, adjusting to the things that we prioritize like plate decisions and quality contact and consistent contact and all of the things that go under those buckets uh, for those key performance indicators. So he's, he seems to be a guy that does a really good job at swinging at strikes and taking balls um, which is the, the essentials of, of making good decisions at the plate. And uh, he definitely has a lot of bat speed because he's a fast mover and because he's athletic. Uh, so, you know, it's really for us as coaches, it's not trying to necessarily uh, define what his role is right now, but just more uh, not only evaluate his skill set, but also, you know, work with him on, on get playing a little bit of catch up on all the things that, we did this fall that, you know, while he was busy winning an ACC championship on the gridiron, uh, that, that we could get him up to speed here so we can try to do the same thing. A few more minutes with Clemson baseball coach Eric Backage here on Sports Talk. So what about the pitching? We haven't really touched on that in great detail. Uh, where are you on in your mind having a, a weekend rotation? Are you, are you there yet? you got to see more here in camp. No, I, you know, I, I'd be lying to say that we don't have any idea what our rotation is. The, the thing is, is we have so many good pitchers uh, that we feel like are potential starters. What we haven't done is say, all right, this is our Friday, Saturday, Sunday. What we have is six to eight guys right now that based on their stuff and based on their command, because we like, we like our starters to be able to throw three pitches for strikes. Uh, we have at least six guys that we feel like could fit that starter profile and the guys who don't start, you know, where are they well positioned? Are they, are they long relievers? Are they high leverage relievers? Uh, Could they close, you know? And so it's really, it's kind of identifying, all right, who are these, who are these in a typical college baseball program, you know, 10, 11, 12 guys are going to get 90% of the innings pitched. Same thing on the offense. They're going to get 90% of the at-bats. Uh, so it's really just kind of trying to figure out who we feel like are the guys that are going to, you know, have the mo- the most impactful roles on the team in terms of the outcome of the game. But we haven't identified a Friday, Saturday, or Sunday yet. We know who some of those guys are that could be potential starters, but uh, have not have not identified that. Hey, Ryan Ammons is starting on Friday night. He could, but we haven't come out and said that yet. 
Yeah, are you more inclined to put him in the rotation and move him from the closer's role that he was so effective at last year? We are because we want him to we want him to pitch the most meaningful innings possible. And starting pitcher, the tone setter, um, we do feel like that that role for him, he's the right type of kid, right type of character, right type of makeup. It means a lot for him to wear Clemson across his chest. He's had a lot of repetitions in college baseball. He's uh, we know he's he's a very established. We know he's a very good end of the game type of pitcher, and we just we really want him to pitch more and keep that same mentality and just go out there and close the the first inning and then do it again and again and again as many times as he can do it. Uh, but really, just try to you know try to put him in a position where you know we think he can do it. He thinks he can do it and uh, put him in a position to be very successful as a pitcher out there. Clemson head baseball coach Eric Mackage with us here tonight on Sports Talk. And, uh, Coach, we obviously could not get you out of here without talking about South Carolina and Clemson, our state. Very proud of that rivalry, one of the best in the country, and for a long time may have been the best in the nation. How much have you heard about that rivalry, and, and what is your take on first go-around with, with South Carolina coming up in early March? Well, it's not my first go-around. It's the second go-around. I was fortunate enough to experience it. Uh, first time being a college coach, and it hits you right in the face. I mean, it is yep. as passionate as it gets. And, um, you know, it was it was such a, a high bar. So many things about, about Clemson, being at Clemson the first time was a high bar. Being with Coach Leggett and Coach Corbin and Coach O'Sullivan uh, on a, one staff and learning from three Hall of Famers to having the team that we had that finished in Omaha that year to just just taking it all in and then experiencing something like the Clemson South Carolina rivalry um, you know it just when when you are privileged if you you, you get lucky to be at a, at a place that has a high caliber rivalry and you're right I don't know if there is a better one in baseball than Clemson South Carolina I don't know if there's a better college baseball rivalry than that then the way to approach it is just to have the utmost respect for it and that's what we do. We're not we're not here to make any predictions or talk talk bad about them or anyone else. It's just we are going to respect that rivalry so much that we're going to train for it every single day and prepare for it every single day. And we have we addressed it. I talked about it in the press conference. We talked about it in meeting number one. We talk about it or plan for it all the time. And uh, I think that's the best way to show the utmost respect for this rivalry and getting to compete in it uh, on such an awesome stage uh, with such a long history and such a, a long standing rivalry between the two baseball programs, which have both had just some unbelievable moments in their history. Last thing, we'll let you go. How much are you leaning on the old man, number seven? How much are you uh, tapping into his knowledge and is he uh physically uh involved with you guys getting ready for for the practice and for the season physically jack leggett is level 10 energy all the time full tilt all go relentless positive enthusiasm and for him to be involved with clemson baseball again just feels right is right it's awesome he's a coach for the for the coaches he's a mentor for the players and every time he comes around, our, our program gets better. So it's it's awesome having him around. He's uh, he's maybe not there every single day, but he is on our staff. 
Um, he is his title, official title is program development, but he is a uh, he is a great guy and a great resource to have. Great ambassador for for Clemson baseball and and just for um, for people who want to be tough and competitive and high energy. That's that's him. That's every fiber of his DNA. And so I lean on him a lot. He's uh, he was a mentor. 21 years ago has continued to be a mentor for 21 straight years and will continue to be so in the future. And, uh, always very appreciative of, of him for, you know, giving this guy an opportunity to get a start in coaching. And so, uh, it's it's great to have him back. Tell you what, I'm sorry to interrupt. Tell you what, having you and coach Leggett and Corbin and Sullivan in a room together, all talking at the same time, (laughs) you wouldn't know who's talking. You all sound alike. It's like you all grew up in the same house. <laughs> well, I tell you what, there's a lot of testosterone in that room when we Sully <laughs> and Forbes and I. We all shared an office, but it was, uh, yeah, it was high energy for sure. I don't know how the roof stayed on, but it was, uh, it was uh, one of the things that I can point to is I got really lucky being in the right place at the right time. Yeah. Well, we wish you the best of luck. Thank you for joining us tonight. Look forward to many more conversations with you. We'll see you during the season. We appreciate you being on with us. Yes, sir. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you having me. Thank you. Thanks, Coach. All right, Coach Eric Backich at Clemson. I think the program's in good hands. It went from good hands to good hands to good hands. So I think that uh, they're going to be very competitive moving forward with their baseball program. And I was very interested. You asked uh, the question about the South Carolina rivalry. I'm very, very interested to hear his response. That That's yeah. something that is on his mind 24-7, 365. They, they're conscious of it. It's obviously something that they uh, they want to win, and they, they think about beating and, and, and bettering the Gamecocks uh, apparently all the time. Well, and when you compare those two programs, and Mark Kingston is going to probably tell you the same thing, if you're good enough to beat Clemson or you're good enough to beat South Carolina, you're certainly good enough to contend in your league and good enough to go to the NCAA tournament. So, yeah, it's a, obviously a big series, and he's taking it very, very seriously. Yeah, of course, for the Gamecock. Let's see. No, who won it last year? Uh, well, it really didn't South matter. Carolina. South Carolina won the series last year? Mm-hmm. Did they? And then they had a losing record uh, on the season. So, just one of those things you're right usually the winner of that series is going to go on and have a good year but and of course south carolina you look back at last year and they had those multitude of injuries um not too long after that clemson series so they really uh struggled on the mound trying to have some consistency there and that's why with if you heard mark kingston last night i mean he was talking about his pitchers just, they're going to be lights out on the mound and he's got three or four uh, okay, I'm just informed that Clemson swept the series three nothing last year. I'm sorry, I, yeah, I knew I, I should pull it back up. Yeah. I knew I shouldn't have listened to you. <laughs> You're on the road watching basketball. Yeah, I was wondering about that. Okay, so That's Clemson right. no, right. swept yep, the series sure last did. year yep. three nothing. South um, Carolina. If memory serves, Gamecocks that first game was close, and then Clemson sort of dominated the final two. Is that right? It's and, fun, uh, and not. Sorry, Clemson won the first one 5-2, the second one 10-2, the third one 3-2. So you may be thinking about yeah. it, that third game yeah, that was, was game, really yeah. close. So there you go. That proved the point. Of course, um, Clemson didn't make the postseason either last year, so no. they didn't no. do either one any good that particular year. But obviously the Gamecocks went on to have a, a tough year, and I think uh, some of it, maybe a lot of it, can be uh, pinned on their injuries if they stay healthy 
Uh, they've really got a chance to have some good, solid arms and uh, got to work in some new guys uh, that he has brought into the program, some transfers, as he said last night. And then here with Clemson, I mean, you heard Coach say he's got, what, six guys are thinking about in the rotation. Uh, and I, it was interesting. I liked his approach when he talked about Ryan Ammons you know, probably going to be one of the starters on the weekend and look at every inning like closing out the inning like a closer would do. Close out the first mm-hmm. inning, close out the second inning, et cetera, et cetera. And he, um, I like what he said about the approach of getting your best pitchers on the mound on the weekend to um, eat up innings and – put them in position early in games to win games and not have to you know worry about the back end of it all the time well and your point about Ammons and the one he, he brought up is interesting too because that sort of spits in the face of conventional baseball wisdom doesn't it because we've all been told those of us who never played it at the collegiate or certainly the professional level that starters have to have a different mentality because they have to be able to extend themselves five six seven eight innings whatever the case may be and closers can come in and go 90 miles an hour all the way through until their arms done and it doesn't sound like he wants that sort of mentality from ryan ammons he wants him to pitch hard and close out innings which i think is uh, totally different especially in this now era of baseball analytics where everything is so over over utilized and over analyzed i agree i agree we appreciate coach being on with us you can tell he's a deep thinker yes he is he's a a guy that uh breaks it down and uh probably i don't know if he's a big uh one of those uh statistical guys that relies on the various uh, percentages and all that kind of stuff your war and uh, makes decisions based on that or makes decisions off his gut. I, I happen to think your best baseball coaches make their decisions on their baseball experience and make and off their gut feeling about a game. But we do know analytics does enter into it. Okay, top of the hour. We'll be back. Welcome back to Sports Talk on the Sports Talk Media Network. You can reach the guys with the South Carolina Education Lottery lucky number. That's 888-898-2525. Now back to Phil, Chris, and Pat with the second hour of Sports Talk on the Sports Talk Media Network. We are back. It's hour number two, Sports Talk, Sports Talk Media Network on this Wednesday night. Phil Kornblut and Chris Bergen. Chris in uh, Harrisonburg, Virginia. Not Harrisburg, but Harrisonburg. Yes, just northwest of uh, Charlottesville. Okay, okay. There for uh, Coastal James Madison tomorrow night. And uh, I'm here with Pat at the Dave & Buster Studios in downtown Columbia. And a reminder for you, because we are at the Dave & Buster Studios in downtown Columbia, you be sure to get out to Dave & Buster's Columbia Greenville Myrtle Beach and have a great meal something delicious to drink, play all the games in their huge arcade, and catch all the big games all season long. Three places, Dave & Buster's, Greenville, Columbia, Myrtle Beach. Should mention, too, of course, our phone number is 888-898-2525. If you want to join us, we've got some time for some calls now. And our uh, phone number presented to you by the South Carolina Education Lottery. It's our Sports Talk Lucky Line into the program, and did you know that since 2002, more than $572 million in lottery proceeds has been used to fund Palmetto Fellow Scholarships for the state's college-bound students? You can learn more about the lottery's impact 
at seeeducationlottery.com slash education wins. And playing for fun is a win for education. Coming up, we have recruiting for you. Coming up, we have some comments from Clemson basketball coach Brad Brownell. Florida leading the Gamecocks at the first media timeout. It's 8-4. to four, And the Gamecocks off to a coolish shooting start. Two of seven. While Florida is four of six. Both have missed a pair of three-point attempts. Neither has taken a free throw attempt. And Castleton, we talked about early in the game, early in the show rather, already has six points for Florida, six of their eight. He's three for three, I'd imagine. He's right around the right around the basket. He's got a rebound. And Gigi Jackson's got all the Gamecock points. He's two for four from the floor. He's got a rebound. And he's got four points. So not a good start, but I'd say, Chris, that I would say, Chris, that um, the fact Jackson's off to a good start is a good thing for the Gamecocks. They just need some others to contribute. Yeah, he's got to have some help. He can't do it all himself. He's got to have a much better game tonight out of Michi Johnson to begin with. And their guards have to play better. And they've got to get off. I, I, it's like a broken record, but they need to have a good first half to give them a chance to uh, be in it in the second half. And I'm going to have to run because uh, Coastal's wrapping up practice. But I will say this. I have burned into my memory now. Clemson baseball swept the season series last year of the Gamecocks. We will not forget that moving forward. What is your airtime tomorrow? Uh, 645. Airtime go 645. See, go ccusports.com. And what happens if you miss the bus, by the way? Uh, I've got to walk back in the rain, and I don't want to do that. Yeah. And you're just Uphill over. too. You sound pretty good. You're, it sounds like you're over your last cold. So. Yes. Feeling much better. Thank you. Good. Good. Uh, right, safe boys. travels. Thank you. And uh, we will talk to you guys tomorrow night right before the game. You got it. Thank you very much. Yes, sir. All right. Chris Bergen up at James Madison with Coastal Carolina. Yeah, bad loss for Coastal the other night. They shouldn't be losing that game to Chicago State at home and see if they can make up for it tomorrow night. Meantime, I'll give you some other basketball scores besides the uh, Gamecocks and the Gators, 8-4. Florida out in front. Asheville leading Presbyterian, 17 17- to 11, let's update that. Asheville is leading Presbyterian 25 to 20 as they play in the first half. That game's being played up in Asheville. And let's see, uh, tonight we got uh, Wake Forest playing Pitt. We've got Wofford and Chattanooga, Upstate and Gardner Webb, Georgia playing Tennessee, Charleston Southern taking on Winthrop, Citadel and Western Carolina. Of course, you got Furman and Sanford playing up in Greenville. That's a that's a huge one. Georgia, Tennessee. Georgia's leading Tennessee early, 6-4. And that is it for the games we're watching right now here early in the second hour of Sports Talk. Furman and Sanford will be getting underway. Oh, they're probably all getting underway right about now. We'll get you some updates on these games shortly. And another look at South Carolina, Florida, 9-4. Now the Gators have built a five-point lead on the Gamecocks. We got recruiting coming up for you in a little bit. Last night at Clemson, though, at Little John, it was another good night for the Tigers. You know, in their last two games, they've allowed 50 points to Virginia Tech and 51 points to Georgia Tech. So two really good defensive efforts. The 51 points, the fewest Tech has scored this season. The Tigers jumped out to a quick lead, 12-0 in the first 90 seconds. They hit three threes and a free throw to build that uh, quick 10-0 lead, then another basket to go up 12-0 
They held the lead most of the way, uh, well, all the way in the first half, a, a comfortable lead. Now, Tech did get to within three, but Clemson rebuilt the lead by halftime to uh, nine points, and then the uh, closest Tech would get in the second half was nine points, uh, and that was uh, the Tigers led for all but about 40 seconds of the second half by double digits. So nine points was as close as Tech could get. Tigers uh, added to the lead late and ended up with their longest lead of 21 points at the end of the ball game. They were led last night by P.J. Hall with 17. He was 6 of 12, 1 of 3 from 3. He also had 7 rebounds, and he had a fantastic block. It was in the second half, I believe. Tigers had the game pretty much well in hand. It was a play he could have just eh, sat back and let the guy go ahead and dunk. He had to kind of come from across the lane and he met the Tech player at the rim, inside the rim, and just snuffed it. He snuffed the flush and sent it back at him. It was a tremendous defensive play, and it kind of shows you the heart and soul of P.J. Hall and how hard he likes to play. 14 points from Brevin Galloway. He had three threes. Off the bench, Chauncey Wiggins, a career-high 12. He had two threes, five of seven from the floor. Hunter Tyson gave the Tigers 12 points and eight rebounds. It was a good all-around performance for Clemson last night. Here's some of what Coach Brad Brownell had to say, talking about the win and other aspects of the game and his team. Uh, Very workmanlike win, I thought, today. Just uh, really pleased with the way our guys played. Um, We we came out really ready, and uh, Brevin made some shots, which helps. you know, give the Georgia Tech kids credit. I thought once, you know, we got them on their heels and then they they regrouped and played played much better the rest of the first half. Um, our guys did a nice job in the second half of just playing the right way, doing what we need to do, very efficient, couple too many turnovers, uh, but defensively a lot of good things done. Um, you know, good to see a lot of my young freshman guys being productive, getting more opportunities, a little foul trouble. So just... Uh, Again, a really good performance by our team. Um, you know, proud of the way they approached tonight's game and played. Good, good, good win. You know, I didn't really. I don't think about it like that. I, 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 I've said this before. I just look at every week. I look at every week. What do we have this week? What do we have to do to try to play well this week? How do I need to prepare my guys? What messaging do I need to do as the head coach? Obviously, how much do we need to practice? What, you know, just get with my staff and try to manage every week uh, the best we can and then figure it out as, as we go. Um, obviously, I'm thrilled, happy for our team and players and fans, um, but there's still 10 games to go. So, um, you know, we've done a nice job of, of staying together, being focused, and played well enough to win some, some good games. Yeah, absolutely. Our guys do that. Absolutely. We talk about it a little bit. We don't talk about it a lot, um, but – you know, we certainly make our guys understand where they are, and uh, but we don't make a big deal about it. You know, we're, 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 there's still way too much basketball left. There's these guys don't need all that. They need they need to be, you know, dream big, focus small, right? So we need to be on on point. I think our older players, PJ, Alex, Chase, Hunter Tyson, myself, we felt like we were going to have a good team, and. Uh, so I, you know, yeah, we, you know, we've talked a lot this year about no limits, right? We just we're playing, 
right? Let's, let's see what we can do. Let's not put limits on ourselves. Um, you know, no limits, no excuses, no regrets has kind of been what we've talked about this year. Um, and it, it really stemmed from a meeting with Hunter and I this summer. And uh, he's done a nice job as our leader of echoing those kinds of message. And so we kind of talk about that. We talk in that terminology more than we talk about standings and must wins. And, you know, we, we, we phrase it in ways to where we know our guys use those three words. And, and you know, if we have injured guys, no excuses, right? You just you got to figure out with who's, who's there and play. And so doing the best we can that way. Uh, it can be a little frustrating. I, I don't think it's the be-all, end-all. You know, there's years when obviously the year that we – we're 35 and NC State was 33 and neither one of us made it. It was shocking. Um, and there's teams well below us, 20 spaces below us. I mean, you know, I hate to say it like this because it sounds, but they're going, if they don't want you in the tournament, they're going to find a reason why. Your net ranking is good, but you don't have enough quad one wins. If you got a quad four loss, you know, whatever it is, you don't have enough this, that. There's so many factors and it's a hard job. I'm not, it is incredibly hard. I don't know how you do it, but I think, you know, we as coaches, everybody, hey, we all look at the net rankings and think, well, that's the tool. But you go and look at that, and there's there's teams that, I mean, I think somebody was with a 70 or a high 60s and got in the tournament, right? Because they must have had a bunch of good wins. I don't, I don't really know. Um, I don't think anybody really knows. Um, it's a a tool in the toolbox, is what I've been told. So, um, you know, glance at it, but don't really talk about it that much. Yeah, I. I Again, I think it speaks to his will to win. He and Hunter Tyson's will to win is just really high. Um, and, I, you know, that's part of what I said, I think, after Saturday's game. And P.J.'s, you know, much different now than he was earlier in the year. That probably wouldn't have happened, right? That would have been a dunk. Um, in the last, you know, two to three weeks, I feel like he he's playing better. He's more comfortable. He's more confident. He's trying more things. He's not afraid to try something like that for fear of getting hurt. Um, but he, uh, he, he, and that, you know, obviously that's been a big part of our success. I mean, I mean, you know, we're not where we are if PJ's not playing as well as he is, but, uh, the competitive spirit of he and, and of Hunter Tyson is high level. No, I think he, that was part of his deal is he wanted to make sure we're going to be good. Like coach, I want to win. Right. And I said, yeah, we're going to win. I think we have a great chance to have a good team. Obviously we need PJ back healthy, but we get you and PJ back. Chase is going to take another step. Alex is a really good player, is a weapon. Um, we've got experience. Brevin's going to help us because now here's another older guy. We've got five older players that have been through the wars that can all get double figures. And, you know, if we just – if we're cohesive, if we can stay healthy and, you know, you have to get a few breaks, right? you got to make a shot like last week. you got to have a team miss a shot, you know, like special things can happen. Um, but, you know, it was a lot about – that him wanting to win and making sure that that you know he and I were on the same page that this you know we're not I know we have a lot of young guys coming in coach but like we're you think we're going to be good right and you know so it was kind of just reassurance talking about Hunter Tyson there at the very end when they had their conversations in the summer and Tyson was trying to figure out whether or not he wanted to uh, return for another year and Brownell said, hey, come on back. We're going to have a good team, and I think it's proved to be uh, very wise. They're using Tyson in a great way that's uh, taking advantage of his skills. And uh, so 
It's working out well for all involved. For those of you watching on our stream, you were able to watch some of the highlights of the Tigers' win last night over at Georgia Tech. Now they get ready to go down to Florida State and take on the Seminoles, who, if my memory's right, they were hammered last night by Miami. And they're struggling in ACC play. And so, again, Tallahassee's always been a tough place to play. Florida State typically has a, a very athletic team and a very deep team. I haven't looked too deeply into them. And um, at this point in time, we'll look more at them this week. But uh, that's a possible road victory for the Tigers. But if they don't play good basketball, you know, they could lose that ball game down there simply because Florida State can be difficult at home. And I'm sure they'd love to have their two guards back and healthy. But those situations are so touchy that they just can't get them totally healthy enough where they can play. Uh, they have been working out in practice. They've been getting them you know, to the point where they're close to being able to play. But apparently the c discomfort level for the two of them is is too much. that They're just not able to get back on the court and, and make it happen. What you got, Pat? Yes, you're right. Florida State, they're 5-5 five and five right now in the conference, and they're 7-14 and 14 overall. Having a down year, certainly for their standards and where we've seen them the past half decade or so. But one other point, you I want to echo what you said earlier in the program. You mentioned that with these injuries, essentially two would-be starters for the Tigers have now been out, and that is allowing Brad Brownell and his team to find more depth. It's allowing some of these younger guys to get more experience in meaningful minutes that they would not have been getting otherwise and one name that I think we're going to continue to hear over the next couple of years we know Chase Hunter but how about his younger brother Dylan Hunter mm -hmm. and I mean last night alone he played 36 minutes he was terrific for them had nine points with three or three of five for the field one on one from three made both his free throws added a rebound and an assist he didn't really necessarily put up big stats but he was able to play great defense uh, as his young younger excuse me as his older brother has been kind of barking at him all year is just how to stay in Brad Brownell's good graces and get meaningful minutes is play hard defense. And that's what he's been doing. And last night, I thought he was terrific. Update some other scores down in Gainesville, Florida, on top of the Gamecocks, 20-11, to 10-37 to go in the first half. Uh, Castleton, he's got two blocks. So I think that puts him at 200 in his career, or pretty close to it. He's closing in on 200 blocks in his career. Uh, two blocks tonight. He's got six points. He's got a rebound. Um, Reeves has got five for Florida. Florida shooting 57%, 8 of 14 from the floor, 2 of 6 from 3. Gamecocks uh, are shooting 33%, being led by Jackson, who's got uh, six points at this point. Make that four points at this point. He's 2 of 6, so he's not leading them. Carter leads the Gamecocks. He's 2 of 2 including a three-pointer. He's got five. Uh, Jackson's got four. Gray's got two, and nobody else has scored. Jackson does have four rebounds and two assists. Sounds like he's really into the ball game. ten minutes in, four points, four rebounds, two assists, a couple of turnovers, and uh, seems like he's doing all he can. Michi Johnson's off to a cold start, 0 for 3. Obviously, to get him going is important for South Carolina. If they're going to have any chance to win, they need some offense from Michi Johnson. Having three guys score in the first 10 minutes plus of the ball game, that's not good offense. That is not good balance. That's not good offense. And that 
is not going to get it done. No, the Gamecocks are showing good hustle, though, uh, so far. And Gigi Jackson, five rebounds already in the first 10 minutes of the ball game. The Gamecocks actually lead the Gators 11-8 to on the boards. They just right now are just having their shots not fall. But if they can get Michi Johnson especially, and actually he just hit a three-pointer, uh, so now he's on the board. If he can now get a streak going and get some more shots up there, Gamecocks might make a run. 23-14 now is the score. You've got uh, Asheville over Presbyterian 39-32. Get you an update on Furman and Sanford up at Timmons. Furman's off to the 13-9 lead, 11:59 to play in the first half in that one. Let's see, Wake Forest and Pittsburgh. It's 22-21 Pitt with 10-33 to play. You know, I bragged about Wake Forest after beating Clemson. Then they lost at home to Virginia. Now they're trailing up at Pitt. But it's a close ball game. But I might have put the kabooza on them. Chattanooga leading Wofford. No, make it Wofford leading Chattanooga. 16-15. Got 9-15 to play first half of that ball game. And Gardner-Webb. Gardner-Webb and Upstate. Give you an update there. Gardner-Webb and Upstate, 15-12 Spartans. 11-20 to go in the first half. Make it 17-12 Spartans. As the scoreboards are updating, as we uh, click on them and click off of them, we're seeing the scores being changed. Check out Georgia-Tennessee. It is Tennessee now leading Georgia, 19-17. to go in the half. South Carolina will play at georgia Coming up on Saturday, we've got Charleston Southern playing Winthrop, and it's the Buccaneers leading the Eagles 25-19. 9-27 to play in the first half there. And Citadel, Western Carolina, get you a score on this one. The Bodogs, who got a nice win at VMI the other day, they are leading Western Carolina 17-10. 9-36 to play in the first half there. And we will hit the break here on Sports Talk. We'll be back in just a moment. When your day calls for some winning, why not watch your favorite football team at Dave & Buster's? We've got massive HDTVs and hundreds of the hottest new games set from our chef-crafted cocktail menu with exclusive drinks such as the Strawberry Watermelon Margarita or Dangerous Waters. Cheer on the team with Cantina Nachos or Wings featuring one of our 12 wing flavors. When your day calls for some winning, it's time for Dave & Buster's where you can watch the games and play the games. Locations in Greenville, Columbia, and Myrtle Beach. Hi, I'm Jim Corbett. I've been an attorney for more than 30 years. There's one thing I've learned about injury cases. It's you need the personal touch. You need the lawyer to get to know you and describe your damages. You don't want a case manager talking to an insurance company and then talking to you and then talking to maybe to a lawyer with limited experience at the last minute to try to settle a case. I talk to you. I find out what your case is about. Jim at JimCorbettAttorney.com. Jim at JimCorbettAttorney.com for your injury cases. Major Downer here from the South Carolina Department of Natural Resources. Boating season is just around the corner. To make sure that your boat is ready, check your registration sticker and ensure it's current. Find your registration card, make sure your life jackets are in good shape, and check your fire extinguisher as well. For more information on boating or boat tiling questions, visit dnr.sc.gov backslash boating. 
George Bryant here with Tsunami Bar Sports, and wow, Tsunami Robbie, there is now an amazing technology that you can use when you train, receiving large gain without having to endure pain. Please explain. George, that is the magic combination. I have three simple words to define that entire concept. Stimulation, not annihilation. Regardless of your training goals, there is a level of stimulation that is optimal for your desired gains. Tsunami Bar's flexible bar technology meets these demands because the user determines the level of stimulation with the amount of speed and force they impart into the bar or training device. Hey, this is Phil Kornblut. The Tsunami Bar is a terrific training device whether you're working on your fitness or your golf game. It's convenient, it's easy to use, and you won't feel beat up afterwards. Be sure to click on the digital ad on sportstalksc.com and get 5% off any order using promo code B. BB5. Don't wait. Order today. Founders Federal Credit Union knows your life is busy and your money is important. We are proud to offer local personalized services and convenient online services like Founders Online and the Founders app. You'll love being with us as much as we love serving you. Visit RelaxJoinFounders.com or one of our 37 convenient locations to see if you qualify for membership with Founders. Relax. Win with Founders. Terms and conditions apply. Founders Federal Credit Union is federally insured by NCUA. South Carolina hanging in there with the Gators. You know, we talked about this game maybe being competitive. 23-17 at the under-eight timeout. Carter now, now he's having a game. He's three for three from the field. He's two for two from three. Got a couple of rebounds. So he's got eight. And Jackson uh, still on uh, sitting on four points. Uh, Johnson, as Pat mentioned, had that three-pointer. He's got three. Gray's got two. And uh, Hayden Brown's already got three fouls on him, so he only played six minutes in the half, so I don't think we'll see him again. Three fouls in the first half on Hayden Brown, and uh, so you're not going to see him for a while. So that that hurts the Gamecocks. So they're hanging in there. Uh, They've warmed up to a 39% shooting, and they only trail 23-17, 7-18 to play in the first half. Give you some other notes in recruiting coming up after the break. Frank Reich is going to interview, um, well, interview today as the Panthers are narrowing their list of finalists. This is from Joe Person covering the Panthers for the Athletic. Frank Reich, former coach of the Colts. Okay, interesting name there. Uh, Kentucky's big offensive lineman, Keonta Goodwin, a guy that Clemson recruited heavily uh, out of the state of Indiana, transferring to Florida after his time at Kentucky. I think that's a nice pickup. Tennessee's AD Danny White agreed to a contract extension, $2.2 million annually with a six-year rolling term. This comes after they gave football coach Josh Heifel a new contract at $9 million per year. Okay, we'll come back with recruiting after this break right here on Sports Talk. all right time for the recruiting reports here on sports talk 
Brought to you by Seawells. Hide the women and children. I'm going out for roast beef Thursday tomorrow. I can't stand it. I've missed a couple of roast beef Fridays. I need to get that protein, need to get that energy going again. No better place to make that happen than at Seawells for the delicious, the uh, healthy, the uh, economical daily luncheon buffet. Only $13. And you know, you don't have to eat like a pig. You don't have to. You can go in there and eat like a regular human. You don't have to fill up three plates of food and add about 50 pounds. Go in there and just enjoy yourself, have a nice meal, go home, take a nap, then go back to work for about an hour, then go home again and listen to sports talk. That would be a good afternoon if you ask me. 11 to 2 tomorrow for the daily luncheon buffet with roast beef, the planned attraction. And they do it every day, Monday through Friday. Again, it's only $13. You're not going to find a buffet like this anywhere for 13 bucks. And if you need the very best in the catering business, well, you know who to call. That's Seawells at 803-771-7385 online at SeawellsCateringSC.com. All right, uh, in recruiting tonight, and as I do the recruiting report tonight, for those of you who might be uh, watching the stream if you're watching earlier, we ran some highlights of the uh, Clemson basketball win last night. If you're watching the stream, you got some highlights of, oh, yeah, Nicholas Harbor for you. And, of course, not only is he a talented football player, he's a big-time elite-level sprinter. And we got some of those highlights running for you right now as we give you the recruiting report. So about Nick Harbor, tight end defensive end out of Washington. And... Uh, it's, it's headed down the home stretch now this week. He's met with Dan Lanning of Oregon. He's met with Jim Harbaugh of Michigan. And today, tonight, he's meeting with Mario Cristobal of Miami, Mike Loxley of Maryland, and Shane Beamer of South Carolina. In fact, Beamer gets the last visit. Beamer and his crew of assistants will be in there about 9 o'clock, according to his father, Azuka Harbor. And the family will be heading out to Oregon this weekend for an official visit and then national signing day number two on Wednesday Harbor will announce the decision it'll be somewhere around noon and one of the ESPN channels will have it when he is ready to make his announcement I would imagine they're going to do the best they can to keep everything under wraps until then the Harbor has visited USC multiple times during the recruiting process and Beamer has sold himself and his program extremely well to the point, he is one of the last five coaches standing in this marathon recruiting battle. So his dad, Mr. Azuga, said, quote, we love South Carolina. When we went there, everything checked out, educational, living conditions, everything checked out real well. They laid out a complete home for Nicholas, he said. We were very impressed with everything. My wife was so in love with Boomer, that's Beamer's dog, I think it was a very good visit, and it has a very special place in my heart, most definitely. Now, there are two in-home visits down, three to go. And Mr. Harbor said the first two sessions with Oregon and Michigan went very well. Quote, as far as Oregon, it was a lot of fun. We were just talking. It wasn't anything you can say particularly. Everybody was just talking about what they have for Nick and what they will do for Nick. They just let us know that we're here to take care of your child. 
And the same thing with Michigan. Hanging out with Harbaugh was just fun. Shooting a little breeze and having some good old fun. Not anything specific. Just reassuring you as a father and a mother and my daughter that we are going to be able to take care of your guy's child. End of quote. Harbor said as the uh, last three visitors are set to come in on Wednesday, it's most important for Miami because his son has have the least amount of contact with Mario Cristobal, the coach there at uh, Miami, the head coach at Miami. So it's really a, a key thing for Cristobal. Cristobal? Cristobal. Cristobal. I think it's Cristobal to get in front of him. And so Mr. Azuka said, quote, we're trying to make sure everybody has their own time to see him and talk to him. Only person we've not really seen face-to-face is Cristobal. He said to Coach Beamer, we know Coach Beamer. We know Coach Beamer. We've spent a lot of time with Coach Beamer. It's not anything new. Maryland, we are just around the corner. I can even walk to Maryland from my home. It's just down the street from my walk, just 10 minutes away. So the in-home visits are fun. Official visits are always a treat. But after this weekend, the hard work begins, and that means getting down and making a decision. They'll have to tell four coaches no and one coaches yes. Mr. Harbour said, quote, he asked me yesterday, what do you want, when do you want to talk to me? He said, when we come back from the trip to Oregon. I said, where are you? And he said, he being Nick, he said, he's still making up his mind. I said, okay, we'll talk later. I said to him, you are going to make the decision on your own. But if you ask me for guidance, I'll give you guidance. You ask me what I feel about the whole thing, I will give you the whole thing. But at the end of the day, you're the one who's going to be in school. It's not me. I'll be at home. One of the schools that you've decided you're going to go to, any of those schools is good. From my standpoint, everything checked out, everything checked out. Do I have a favorite? Mr. Harbor said rhetorically. Do I have a favorite? If I say yes, I'm lying. Then it's going to be crazy for him, for a child, to make a decision, to make a choice, because all the coaches that he met are wonderful people. He went on to say, I mean, Coach Sterling Lucas from South Carolina. We talk like we're family friends down the street he said sometimes i think this is just too much for the kids as i told him i'm going to give you advice but i'm not going to tell you what school you're going to have to go to i will give you my opinion but i'm just going to lay it out for you this is what i think you can make up your mind whatever decision you make i'll be supportive end of the quotes like i said he'll announce wednesday his public decision have a ceremony at the school. Several players will be signing. That will start around noon. Harbor will go last, and his announcement will be carried over one of the ESPN outlets, according to his coach. Now, we heard tonight from Coach Paige Wofford at Northwestern. Receiver Elijah Caldwell is ready to announce his commitment decision tomorrow between like 1 and 2 o'clock. He's coming off an official USC last weekend. Weekend before that, he was at NC State. Those are the two finalists. Wolfpack coaches were in for a visit last week. Scheduled to be back this week. USC coaches were in last week. And last night, Shane Beamer and staff members had their in-home visit. And uh, Coach Wofford said, quote, as far as I know, it's come down to NC State and South Carolina. And 
We'll see how it goes, but I don't think he can make a bad choice between those two. I think he's going to go where he felt the most at home and where he felt like he had the best chance for a program that he thinks is really on the way up. End of the quote. As for the visit Caldwell took to South Carolina, Wofford said he hadn't talked with him in great detail, but he did say, quote, he liked the food, he liked the people, he liked the atmosphere, he liked the way they treated him and treated his family. He said Coach Stepp did a really good job uh, talking to him and making sure he was comfortable, end quote. So that should come down tomorrow between 1 and 2. Meantime, Northwestern running back Turbo Richard was offered by Connecticut and Georgia State. And South Carolina's offered several new players, and I love these two. Twin, well, it's redundant to say twin brothers, right? I mean, twins, but I guess you should say brothers so you know that they're boys. Twin brothers. How about this name? Ty Cool Hill Lumen. Ty Cool Hill. That's one word. T-Y-C-O-O-L-H-I-L-L. Ty Cool Lumen. 6'3", 240, Miami. And his twin brother, Ty Clean Lumen of Miami. <laughs> Both are... 6'3", 240. That reminds me of a funny story. So, remember when Clemson had a player out of Mississippi by the name of Antoine Edwards, I think it was. Remember Antoine Edwards? Yeah, he was a defensive back. He was a safety out of Mississippi. Antoine Edwards. And then went to the Packers, right? Yeah. So, anyway, I'm calling him for a recruiting uh, uh, conversation, and a guy answers the phone. I go, hey, Antoine. He goes, no, no, this is his twin brother, and twin. No way. <laughs> I'm serious. And I started laughing. So there's Antoine and Ann Twin. And here you got Ty Coolhill, Lumen, and Ty Clean, Lumen. They were twin brothers, right? Not just brothers? Twin brothers. Love it. 6'3", 240. Gamecocks offered running back Peyton Lewis out of Salem, Virginia, 6'1", 190. Linebacker Joseph Phillips, 6'3", 230 of Montgomery. Defensive end, Dylan Stevenson, 6'5", 230, Miami. In the 25 class, receiver Jameer Joseph, 6'1", 175, Montvale, New Jersey. And offensive guard Chauncey Goodwin of Nashville, 6'4", 315. In the 26 class, cornerback Nasir McCoy, 6'1", 170, Hapeville, Georgia. River Bluff running back Cooper Johns, Received a PWO offer from the Gamecocks. LSU offered Gamecock commitment tied in Michael Smith, who just committed yesterday. You paying attention down there, LSU? He's committed. Hands off. Now, com- you know what commitment is. That's not a red flag. It's not even a yellow flag. It's a green flag in recruiting. That means others come on and jump on board. Unless, of course, the player says, stop it. I'm not talking to anybody. Defensive tackle Heaven Brown Schuler of Atlanta will be at Clemson Saturday for the junior day. He's been to Michigan and Georgia this month. Defensive end Darian Mayo of Olney, Maryland, plans to be at Clemson Saturday. Clemson target offensive tackle Jamison Riggs plans to be at Clemson Saturday. He was at Tennessee last weekend. Cornerback Charles Lester plans to be at Clemson Saturday, though he has a top five of Alabama, Georgia, Florida, Ohio State, and Florida State. 2025 defensive tackle Elijah Griffin, 6'5", 280 of Savannah, plans to be at USC Saturday. 
Fort Dorchester quarterback Zoltan Osborne committed to Charleston Southern. And let me peek here and see if there's anything else I want to mention. Uh, Clemson running back target David Iziomi will be in for the junior day on Saturday. I think we mentioned that yesterday. So I think we've covered everything at this point. There you go with recruiting for now here on Sports Talk. Recruiting brought to you by Seawells, always available on our website, sportstalksc.com, and on Twitter, use the hashtag STRecruiting. So let's see where we are in the basketball game. They should be well advanced. 34-26 Florida, four seconds to go in the opening half. And the Gamecocks have yet to lead in this one. They trailed by as much as 11 at 28-17, but they're down 24-36, I'm sorry, four seconds to go. G.G. Jackson's got eight now for the Gamecocks. Uh, Carter has got eight for the Gamecocks as well. And again, they're in this ball game going into halftime, and that's about all you can ask at this particular time with this team, just to to be in the ball game and have a have a chance going into the um, – second half give yourself a chance Reeves has 10 for the Gators at this point do you have something well just again we've made it a point throughout this season just to talk about the effort or lack thereof it's at at moments from this Gamecock team but again tonight just looking here they still hold a winning margin on rebounds uh in particular offensive rebounds so the effort appears to be there tonight. If they can just get a little better product, a little better shooting percentage in the second half, they might have a chance. But right now, one thing that is really hurting them that sticks out is turnovers. They have nine turnovers to Florida's three, and that right there, those six possessions could be the difference in the game. You know, they had a great effort in the Auburn game. They sure did. Yeah. You know, they Especially were down. Gigi. They cut it back to ten, and then it it just grew. Ended up being you know. They reached 26, I think, at one point. So, I mean, they give a, gave a good effort. And like you said, they're giving a good effort tonight. They're down eight at the break now. It's 34-26 Florida as they go to the half in Gainesville. And we'll go to our final break here on Sports Talk as we do. We'll update some other scores and then come back with more. Tennessee is leading Georgia at the half. It's 35-22 now playing in Knoxville. Georgia got off to a decent start, but they're not going to hang with Tennessee. Of course, the Gamecocks play in Athens on Saturday. Uh, Furman is leading Sanford. It's 35-30 with 1.17 to play in the first half. We'll give you more scores after the break. Touchstone Energy Cooperative members save more, more on electricity, and members save more on insurance, groceries, healthcare, restaurants, travel, concerts, and sporting events through co-op connections. Touchstone Energy is an alliance of the member-owned electric cooperatives, and as a member, the power is yours. Experience the power of co-op membership with Touchstone Energy and find out how much you can save on electricity and a whole lot more at touchstoneenergy.com. Life, it has its ups and downs. Sometimes it's little things like hitting every red light or dropping your cell phone. Maybe it's the bills, rent, or pressure at work. But when it comes to the South Carolina Education Lottery, you should never feel like playing will solve everything. The lottery is a game. It's played for fun. So set a dollar amount. Expect not to win and make sure responsibilities, family, friends, and work come first. Visit PlayResponsiblySC.com. 
Join the Trailblaze Challenge, the endurance hike program where big hearts come together for big steps to create hope for local wish families through Make-A-Wish South Carolina. This spring, take part in a new journey on the Palmetto Trail. From sunrise on the highest peak in South Carolina to the coastal marshes of the Lowcountry, hikers of all levels can support critically ill children, enjoy and explore the outdoors, and build South Carolina pride and community through an all-inclusive hike experience. Visit sctrailblazechallenge.org to learn how to get started. That's sctrailblazechallenge.org. Final minutes tonight here on Sports Talk, Sports Talk Media Network. Phil Cornblute and Pat Daniel back at the Dave and Buster's studios. Appreciate everybody being with us tonight. Thanks to Eric Backish for joining us. Clemson, a baseball coach. Going to be a lot of fun watching baseball. We'll continue to talk to coaches as we get into a practice here across the state of South Carolina. Give you some more basketball here in our final minutes tonight. We've got uh, Pittsburgh and Wake Forest. They are at the half. It's a 49-39 lead for the Panthers over the uh, Demon Deacons. Uh, Asheville leading Presbyterian at the half, 42-34. Uh, Wofford now up on uh, Chattanooga, and it is 36-30 at the half playing that game in uh, Chattanooga. Got to wonder what Wofford's going to do with his head coaching job after this season. They have an interim coach running things right now. Uh, USC Upstate and Gardner-Webb. It's 32-29. Gardner-Webb late in the first half, about 18 seconds to go. Spartans are 9-10, and 10, so looking to get back to 500 overall. If they can get the win tonight, Winthrop has come back against Charleston Southern. Choso led early. It's at the half. Winthrop is up 40-39 playing that game up in Rock Hill. Citadel and Western Carolina. It's a 32-31 Bulldog lead with 31 seconds to go in the opening half. And Citadel trying to put uh, back-to-back Southern Conference wins on the board. And so you're up to date on the scoreboard at this point in time. Again, South Carolina and Florida have gone to the half with the Gators leading 34-26. Give you some numbers here. The Gamecocks are shooting 34%. The Gators 45%. USC, 3 of 10 from distance. The Gators are 3 of 13. USC is 3 of 3 from the line. Florida is 3 of 5. USC has turned it over nine times, so that hurts. When you factor this, they've turned it over nine times, and they've had five shots blocked. That's 14 possessions that you did not get up at the rim. So that hurts. That hurts. Now, they've only had two fewer shot attempts, 31 to 29. They are doing a good job on the boards. In fact, they're winning on the boards, and that's helped them. They've got four offensive rebounds. They've turned into 10 second-chance points. And the Gators have just one offensive board and no second-chance points. So that alone right there is pretty much keeping the Gamecocks in this ballgame. They're being outscored on fast breaks because of the turnovers and the block shots. They're being outscored eight to nothing. What you got? 
I was just going to add the Gamecocks are doing all this with Hayden Brown having only played six minutes in the first half, too, with those three fouls. And usually he's such a force defensively. He's kind of the rah-rah guy on the, on the court, kind of the captain, so to speak, getting everybody going, not to mention on the boards. He's usually so good with rebounds. And for them to keep it this close, with uh, mix that with Michi Johnson not shooting well, the, the Gamecocks, again, they may, they may have a run in them in the second half. And we'll see what happens. Poll question of the week, talking about Gamecock football. Seven and six, three and five under Beamer, year one. Eight and five, four and four in year two. So the arrow is pointing up. Do you expect the upward trajectory to continue in 23? And if so, by how many wins? Now, I've had some people complain that one of the answers did not include one more win. Well, I just didn't have room for it. Again, you're only allowed on a Twitter poll four answers. So I decided to go with four and not one, four wins, in case somebody thought the Gamecocks would run the table in the regular season. So 56.1% of 431 votes say the Gamecocks will add uh, two more wins. So they'd win um, they'd win 10 in the regular season. 34.3% uh, say they will win eight or fewer. In 2023, in other words, they will not improve over the uh, eight and five from last season, eight and four in the regular season. And then 5.3 percent say, "Yeah, the Gamecocks will win three more games." So 11, and then 4.2 percent say they'll win four more games. 12 wins in the regular season. Phil, we're going to know an awful lot about that Gamecock football team after the month of September. Just with those five games, again, UNC, Furman, Georgia, Mississippi State, and Tennessee all in the month of September. Yeah. So they got the neutral game in Charlotte. Then they've got they do have to go to Georgia. They get Mississippi State at home. They get Furman at home. They do go to Tennessee. Who's the other one? Uh, name it, uh you said all five. North Carolina yep. is neutral. Okay. Furman is at home. Georgia is in Athens. Mississippi State is home in Columbia. And then Tennessee is on the road. So, really, um, Tennessee and Georgia on the road. Yeah, two losses there. So, you got to win the neutral game and your two home games and your three and two coming out of September. Is that right? Yeah, I think a lot of fans would take that. Three and two, if you can do that in those five, is pretty daggum good. Well, you figure Georgia-Tennessee will definitely be ranked in the, I would say, the top five next year. Preseason yeah, top sure. five next year, you think, would be in no particular order. Let's just throw teams. Preseason top five, Georgia, Tennessee, Alabama, uh, Ohio State. I don't think people would do TCU. No, I don't think so either. I think that was a one-off kind of deal. Okay, they had their fun. Uh, Clemson, I don't know. I mean, did you say Michigan? I didn't say Michigan. I was. I'm, I'm searching for the fifth. I say. I said four. Do you agree with those four? I do absolutely. Yeah. So, who's your best bet for number five? Southern Cal, Michigan, Clemson, Clemson. But I think they'll probably be closer to eight or nine, maybe closer to ten. Mm -hmm. Anybody else in the SEC we're thinking about? LSU. Ooh, LSU, actually. LSU might be good. Have, has Jaden Daniels, has their quarterback announced whether he's coming back or he not? He is. That's huge for them. Yeah. He I was believe, spectacular for them this season. I believe I'm correct on that, but I'll do a quick uh, Google search. But I think one thing I read was that he's returning. Yeah, 
LSU quarterback Jaden Daniels to return for 23-24. So that's big for them. He's a really good quarterback. He transferred from Arizona. I was really impressed with him. Even in that um, opening game loss to Florida State, I thought that he moved them well and, and ran the football well. So they're, they're going to be a tough out next year. Um, I wonder how many people will question Alabama, though, who the quarterback's going to be. Going to have a new offensive coordinator, a new defensive coordinator. How much will that affect the thinking of people about Alabama? Okay, that will do it. Uh, we'll have some post-game comments from Lamont Paris after the Gamecocks wrap it up in Gainesville. Otherwise, thanks for being with us. Thank you, Pat. We'll see you tomorrow night. Here-